Now, we've been looking, if you're just coming here, you haven't been here before or in a while. For me, I've been looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and what is known as the armor of God. And the passage will begin with, finally, Paul is now at the end of the letter. He's ready to land the plane, if you will. And it's been a great ride. It's been a ride that began with many spiritual blessings. But now as he's ready to land the plane, if you will, the believer, the reader, has some sort of turbulence here. There's a turbulence here because with spiritual blessings, as I have told you, comes spiritual battle, as you well know. Now, we have seen the commands and we've gone over them. To be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. To stand firm in evil day. And we've seen the associated pieces of armor that we are to don as it pertains to fighting Satan and his minions. Now today we will look at another piece of armor. Piece number four. But what I'm going to read now, we start at verse 16 and 17, as we will cover pieces of the armor four, five, and six. Hear the word of God. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Anytime a soldier goes to battle, or fighter for that matter, they must ask, what do I need here to succeed? And if they have a commander-in-chief, the commander-in-chief will typically supply what they need to succeed. They must have appropriate training. They must have instruction. They must have a plan, and they must have the proper personal protective equipment. But there is a psychological component that a fighter, a soldier, must have. It does a soldier well to have confidence. It does a soldier well to have confidence. Now, confidence is a feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something, and you have a firm trust. You could have a firm foundation and belief in that person, in yourself, in something. And there are ways to foster confidence for a fighter or a soldier. In war, there is tactic. There are psychological tactics. And one such very simple tactic is, in the military, is the pep talk. Is the pep talk. Stanley McChrystal ran a joint special operations command from 2003 to 2008 for the United States and armed forces. He ran Navy SEALs, Delta Force operations, things of that. And in addressing a soldier, he had five standard protocols. Here's a standard five-part formula for him. Number one, here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's why it's important. And consider number three. Here's why I know you can do it. And think about what you've done before. Now let's get out and do it. And with that, we can foster up some self-confidence and some motivation and encouragement. Think about the fighter. Think about the boxer in the dressing room prior to the fight when the manager says, you got this, champ. You're the greatest. This guy's got nothing. And you foster up the confidence. And the fighter goes out there all whipped up with a confidence and emotion, only to get knocked out in the first round. Because the confidence he had was a self-confidence. 
Brethren, for you, soldiers in the army of God, fighters against the schemes of Satan, self-confidence, we don't need that. We don't want that. We want something more than self-confidence. We want a confidence in something that's strong and secure. Now, I have given you this slogan, if you will. I didn't create it. And it's made its way in many sermons. That we don't fight for victory. We fight what? From victory. And many have said that. Warren Worsby in particular. Now, that makes for a great fist bump. And that makes for a great bumper sticker. And that could whip us up and say, yeah. And then when we go out to face, go out to fight, we see that this is not the confidence that we needed. You know, see, I can stand up here and give you my best Newt Rockney speech, George Patton speech, say, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And I can get you mentally, maybe psychologically and emotionally whipped up. But we need confidence, don't get me wrong, in combat. But the confidence we need comes from the reality that Jesus Christ is victorious. And all that are in Christ are victorious and will be victorious. Our confidence is not in any scheme. Our confidence is not psychological. Our confidence is in the promises of God that are yes and amen. Our promises are in the risen Christ. Praise God. Now for many... You'll say amen, you'll get that, I understand that, and you will say, I know Christ is one. But it's difficult for many to reconcile. It's difficult for you. I I know he will win, but has he already won? Don't take my word for it. I want you to go to the place where we are to derive confidence. We go to the scriptures. Now, We must have confidence in combat because Jesus Christ has defeated the devil. We can have confidence in combat because Jesus Christ has defeated the devil. And because you are in union with Christ, you are victorious as well. In Romans chapter 6, if we have been died with Christ, we have been raised with Christ. Baptized into his death, raised into his life. Your union with Christ makes you victorious. If you rely on anything other than that, forget it. You're done. So let's just look at this victory in Jesus. What does the Bible say? First of all, we've gone through this before. I want to go through some of these scriptures again to give us a foundation, a firm foundation like we spoke about. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but one that has in all points been tempted like we and yet without sin. In his life, in his life, Jesus Christ defeated the devil. Where do we see that? What we opened up with, in the wilderness. Three times in the wilderness tempted. And he withstood the fiery darts of the evil one. The flaming arrows shot at him, he withstood. Jesus did not succumb to the temptation. Though Satan tested Jesus, in various ways, he did not give in. And know what he did? He put up the shield of faith. And he also took the sword of the Spirit, which we're going to get to by quoting Deuteronomy three times. For it is written, praise God for that. So in his life, 
he defeated. And he was all points tempted, did not sin, kept, kept the regulations and law of God on our behalf, mind you. In his life and in his death, Hebrews 2, since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same thing, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Done at Calvary. In his death at the cross, he also disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. And we see, so he defeated Satan at the cross. He defeated the devil, you're telling me. I'm saying, yes, that's what I'm telling you. That's what the word of God is telling you. But what about these principalities and powers? In Ephesians, three times, we see in 121, 310, 48, three places state that Christ has already defeated these powers. Now, Satan was defeated at the cross shortly before his death. Jesus said, the ruler of this world has been judged. And we have an ongoing victory. John 12, 31, 32. This is what is written. Now the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. We have victory, but yet... Satan is no longer dominion over you, but yet we fight him. Sin is no longer dominion over you, but yet we still struggle with it. And death no longer has dominion over you at the victory of Christ, but yet we will all die a physical death. But what we have now for us here to fight this battle is the understanding that we have been delivered from the power of darkness, and he has translated us into the kingdom of his son. So with that said, hallelujah, victory. And yet, we're going to look at the shield. The shield of faith, because we have something coming against us. A tactic of the enemy. That he is going to throw these flaming arrows, shoot these flaming arrows at us. But we can be confident, based on what I've read, based on his life in Calvary and resurrection for that matter, that we can stand against anything, any fiery dart, any flaming arrow thrown at us. So settle your mind today first off. Settle your mind on the victory of Christ. Now, protecting ourselves of fiery Flaming arrows, the new King James will say fiery dots. What are these? They come in various forms. Anything that distracts you, anything that disturbs your fellowship with God, we're going to look pretty much exclusively at one and the effects of it. But prevent, to prevent this from happening, we put on the fourth piece of the armor of God. In addition to all, in addition to the belt of truth, in addition to the breastplate of righteousness, in addition to the shoes of the gospel of peace, we are to take up the shield of faith which we will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, in our text today, we see something about faith that we may not always think about. Faith here is telling us there's a protective quality. There's a protective quality to faith, the faith that we have. But first off, what is faith? The assurance or substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those 
who diligently seek him. Now, a biblical faith is beyond mere belief. It's beyond mere cognitive awareness. It is a supernatural gift of God. It is a supernatural faith that those who have made Christ their Lord and Savior now have. But I want to explain something else to you. The faith about believing is just the starting point. This faith must be exercised. And faith has been called a muscle. It's been said that faith is like a muscle. And it must be exercised. Because if it's not exercised, you know what happens to muscles? They're not strong. So it must translate into action. And a trust in the object of our faith, which is God Almighty. So the initial starting point is saving faith. He's given everyone a measure of faith. But we are inevitably be put in situations where we must exercise the faith. So genuine faith, salvation faith, involves abandoning all human reliance and any self-confidence and any self-efforts. It's a total dependence on God's character. That's the object of this faith before we get into shields and darts and anything else. On God, on Christ's victory, on his promises revealed in the word. Despite what we feel, despite what we see going on in the world, we must have the faith that we know we are going to fight from victory. This is not about blind leaps of gullibility. Your faith, Christian, is not just about wishful thinking. This is a powerful, strong faith that very people with not much, not many wise among you, people in the world's eyes that are not very powerful, when exercised, do great things for God. Now, faith in what? In the God. Of our salvation. But we see here the shield of faith. I want to make the connection. Between the shield of faith. And the promises of God. We see the promises of God. Where? In the Bible. We want to have confidence in our Lord. Can we have confidence. In where these promises come from. I'm going to show you. The answer is yes. John 20.31. But these things have been written. So that you may believe. Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, believing that you may have life in his name. First and foremost, the promises of God, the confidence we have, come from the word of God. Think about five things to have confidence in combat in dealing with the word of God. First of all, the fulfilled prophecies of the Bible. There are too many for me to go over. You could just look at Psalm 22, 16 to 18, Isaiah 53, Psalm 16, 10. The multiplicity of fulfilled prophecies. That's number one. Consider the eyewitness accounts that we have for those that wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This ought to give us a confidence in putting up the shield of faith. These eyewitness accounts, consider what Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. These men were eyewitnesses. Peter, John, James, all tortured 30 to 40 years after 
when they eyewitnessed our beloved Savior and the power of the cross and the power of his life, they were to be killed. They would be martyred for their faith. These are eyewitness accounts that are verifiable. If this was a hoax, you think they would have died for a lie 30 to 40 years later? Probably not. At least not 11, 12 of them. Philip hung against a pillar, stone. Bartholomew flayed alive. Andrew bound to a cross, left to die. Jude shot to death with arrows. All of them. After the fact, they held to the faith. They held to the faith. Now, would they die willingly for a lie? There are people that die for lies every day. There are people with convictions that are ridiculous according to the word of God, but yet they proceed and they even die for them. But they saw. They were there. Would they have died? I don't think so. In addition, let's go outside the Bible for a minute. Let's think about the, the historians who are not Christians and have no allegiance to this Christian, Christian thing and verify the accounts of Josephus, the first century historian, when you look at the antiquities of the Jews, Tactitus, and various extra-biblical writings that coincide with the word of God, where we get the promises of God, where we ought to put up the shield of faith. The archaeological findings, number four. Go to, go to Jerusalem sometime and look at all the archaeological findings and see how they validate the scriptures. And lastly, the manuscript evidence. Some of you know about the Dead Sea Scrolls. That may be old news to you. I am still fascinated by the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, first and foremost, let's just establish. I have confidence in the Christ of Calvary and his victory, and I have confidence in the promises of God. So, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith. Now, there's something interesting about the shield. Let's consider what we've seen thus far. The belt of truth is stationary. The breastplate of righteousness, stationary. The shoes of the gospel of peace, stationary. But the shield of faith is manual. It can be moved, the shield of faith. It must be placed in position. Now, what was this shield like? We're talking historical verification at that time. Probably four, feet, four by two. Made of two layers of wood glued together, together, covered the first with linen, then with hide, and it was bound from top to bottom. It's reinforced. A notable thing about the shield. Here's something very notable. They were soaked with water before a battle. And the purpose for that we will get into. The purpose was the flaming arrows of an opponent would be doused. Not only would they be protected that the arrows would be doused. When dipped in water before a battle, they could extinguish flaming arrows. And that was a common practice at that time. So the shield of faith and the content of our faith is not a focus on human belief. It's not a focus on some gullibility. It's not a focus on, I hope so. It's focused on the word of God. What is our shield of faith today? This is the shield of faith. This is it. So, now a shield is representative in scripture several ways. A shield is often represented for protection. But represented for protection, not only promises of God, but God himself. 
For example, God calls himself a shield to Abraham, Genesis 15.1. Served as a shield to Israel, Deuteronomy 33.29. David reminds us in Psalm 18.30 that the word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And Proverbs 35, every word of God is tested. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. So, you are taking up the shield of faith when you believe and exercise what God has said. That is an example of taking up the shield of faith. Now, we're taking up the shield of faith in this passage against flaming arrows, another weapon of Satan. Now, what are these? They're anything that will disturb your fellowship with God. They're anything that would come against you in your walk with God. Anything to derail you, for deception to be upon you, anything. And we look at 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceive Eve by his craftiness, so your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. And ESV would say you'd be led astray from sincere, pure devotion. You could believe everything cognitively, intellectually, but sometimes the head knowledge has got to translate to the heart knowledge. And we can be deceived, as we have looked at in the past messages. So the shields will protect you against lies, deception, accusations, condemnation, fear. And primarily, many would say that these, these fiery darts and the shield protects us from these flaming arrows are primarily temptation. And there's one sub-temptation that I want to talk to you today as it pertains to us. And from that, we see others. And that is the flaming arrow of doubt. The flaming arrow of doubt. Doubt is uncertainty or a lack of conviction. Doubt is not confidence. Doubt is distrust in some extent. Doubt can lead to despair. Doubt could lead to distrust and certainly can lead to uncertainty. When using the shield of faith, consequently, you will mitigate doubts. Now, when we see that the, why did the Roman soldier have this shield dipped in water? Because you could protect yourself against that flaming arrow. But there can be a little ember. There can be a little spark that can cause a fire. A little spark in us can create a big fire if not dealt with. And one of the sparks here with doubt also sometimes is the catalyst of compromise. Through compromise, sometimes the fire starts gradually. When we don't put on the armor of God. When we're not dealing with the promises of God. When we're just compromising to some extent. It can start a little ember in the mind. Nevertheless, we must extinguish in these darts. That's why it's important to put on the armor of God and keep the shield up. We don't always know when the enemy is coming. We don't always know when he's attacking. But the shield may be, must be up. And we must renew our minds in confidence with the washing of the water of the word. Now, it's true, if you saw a flaming arrow coming, it's like the boxer. If you see the punch coming, your impulse is to defend. But we want to have the shield in position. See, very 
often boxers can see what's coming up and they, some, the opponent, will telegraph a punch. But brethren, we've studied the films, if you will. We've seen, we've looked in the Word. We know how He's going to operate. Satan can be mysterious, but we know some of his schemes, and we see here these flaming arrows we must be on God for. Now, such a time, you may be weary, more tired than other times, and that's where the compromise may come in. Now, professional boxers, when they get tired, they have a tendency to lower their hands. And as we looked at this combat stress, you can be in a season where you're dealing with a lot, and you're being assailed by these flaming arrows, and you may get tired, and your hands have a tendency to come down. But like this muscle that must be exercised, we must exercise faith. And God will put us in situations that will force us to trust and rely upon him. And one of the ways that we want to be strengthened in any season is to be re-energized by God himself. To commune with God. Isaiah 40, 31. And we must wait. Sometimes we have to wait. We must be in position and just wait upon the Lord And we see situations, Isaiah 40, 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Do you need new strength? Sometimes we need it. We should wait upon the Lord for new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow tired. They will walk and not become weary. Keep the shield up. This way we can deflect any blows. And the fact of the matter is, Christian. As we looked at those people in Hebrews 11.1, they didn't get it right all the time. We don't get it right all the time. The shield's not always in position. Praise God for His sustaining us by grace. Praise Him for that. The fact of the matter is, Christian, you may get hit with a flaming arrow. You may be down from the hit, but I guarantee you this. You will never get knocked out. We think of the ring like a boxing analogy. You're not going to get knocked out. You may have to come up and get a standing eight count once in a while, but you're not going to get knocked out. Praise God. So we see that it's common, this doubt, from the doubt can come a distrust from God, and that is the opposite of faith. And Very often in our minds, we play with things. What if? Maybe I'm not with the right person. What if? Maybe God's word is not the best thing for me. Listen, this goes back to the garden. This is the ABCs of his game plan, of his strategy. We see Jesus in the wilderness. What did Satan do to Jesus in the wilderness? He tempted into what? Distrust. He first tried to get Jesus to distrust the Father's provision, his protection, and his plan. Trusting in the promises of God, we can be confident in the word of God. Even when the devil's not even directly mentioned. When distrust comes, there could be fear and doubt. And the faith must be put into action. A sister said something very, very profound on Thursday night. She said, I often give things to the Lord and then I take them back. Does that describe you? That resonated with a lot of people. Because sometimes that's how it goes. But no matter what challenges 
What challenges befall you in life? You got to trust in the promises of God. Proverbs 3 5, trust in the Lord in the promises of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Christians, there are some things that come against us that seem to be insurmountable obstacles and we can't figure it out. But we take up the shield of faith and we trust in the Lord of our salvation. Especially when a new challenge comes. I think of an example in Numbers 13, 14. Not necessarily related to the evil one, but nevertheless, an example of those who did not accept the promises of God. Two did, ten did not. Now we look in 12 spies, the two walked by faith and believed the promises. In Numbers 13, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers shall send a man. I'm giving this to the people of Israel. I'm able to give this to the people of Israel. The spies go in and they see some giants in the land. They see some obstacles. They see that this is not going to be that easy. And what they do? After surveying the land, they come back. Two say, the Lord said, it was Joshua and Caleb. The Lord said that we can have this land. Caleb quieted the people before Moses. In verse 30, he said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. And yet they were grumbling. And Joshua said, if the Lord desired, and he did give us this land, we could have it. But there was a rebellion that went on. They did not accept the word of God. They did not accept the promise of God. And why? Because they saw some obstacles. There were some giants. And in our life, many a times, there are giants. And the promises sometimes get delayed because we don't apprehend the promises of God by faith. Another example, in a time of Judah, I think of the prophet Habakkuk. I relate to this guy. I think we all do so much. After he sees what's going on in Judah, after coming out of a prosperous time, what's going on? Lord, how long, O oh Lord? He sees things that are not the best case scenario. He sees things that are not the way it ought to be, not the way they were. And he appeals to the Lord. He seems despondent. He seems even a little heartbroken, arguing with the Lord. The Lord would answer him. And one answer that he, the Lord gave to Habakkuk, he gives to us today, regardless of the situation. The righteous must live by their faith. Now, there are spiritual weapons for spiritual battles, and God has given us what we need to overcome. Consider 2 Corinthians 3.5, I read it in the prayer. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or pulling down strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raises up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Brethren, sometimes the bow and arrows, the flint, they're just coming. If you've ever gone to a hockey game, I went with one of the brothers here one time. We went for the warm-ups. 
And in the warm-ups, they have a rapid-fire drill. Everyone gets up and they shoot the pucks right after another, and the goalie's like this. It could feel like that. With all these, all these lofty things, these speculations, these philosophies that are totally against the knowledge of God, all coming at us. But this is greater. This is more powerful. So doubt. Let's deal with doubt today. Because doubt could be like that little smolder. You know, it's been said, statistics reveal that most forest fires happen because of human activities. Discarded cigarettes, things like that. And the greatest factor is human carelessness for forest fires. can be like that for us too. With that little ember of carelessness, we can have a fire. So let's take up the shield of faith and douse and extinguish these flaming arrows. We do not want to have Satan get a toehold that becomes a foothold and or a stronghold. So let's understand that confidence in combat, and we need confidence. You need confidence. You need encouragement. It's not going to come from me. Rah, rah, we got it. Let's do it. It's not going to come from me. It's going to come from the God of our salvation, from the victory of Jesus Christ and everything else from that. I can't psych you up, but we have to ask ourselves this thing. What is your faith based upon today? How strong is your faith How often do you put up the shield of faith when these arrows come against you? How often do you defend your minds by using the shield of faith? We exemplify trust in God when we put up the shield of faith and make the application, shield of faith, promises of God. Shield of faith for you, for me. Understand above all things, we're not going to understand everything. We may see things get better. We may see things get worse. And we may say, God, you you really, Jesus really, listen to me. God is faithful. God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. Jesus Christ was victorious in defeating the devil in his life. Jesus Christ was victorious in defeating the devil on the cross. And we know that we may not understand everything, but God holds everything in his hand. He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which not, have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That's confidence. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks to you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We are confident in combat, Lord, because of your victory. Thanks be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us to adoptions as sons and daughters. Father God, you have us in your hand. You have us secure. Now, Father, give us what we need to make the rest of our journey here as we take up the shield of faith, as we walk by faith.
as we live in the faith that you have given us. May it increase. In Jesus' name, amen.